In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today in the Gospel, we will consider that dazzling scene of the Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzlingly white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men, the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, each of us wants to make the effort to imagine the emotions, the experience of those three apostles. Out of the blue, totally unexpectedly, they suddenly see Jesus speaking with two of their greatest heroes. It is very easy to imagine that they wanted to pinch themselves. They found it hard to believe. They wanted to pinch themselves also because they did not want that moment to cease. That is why Peter says, let us make three tents. Let us set up shop. Let us stay here for as long as we can. This scene encapsules that very important sentence from scriptures. Be still and see that I am God. Vacate ad videte quoniam ego sum Deus. Be still. Come to a screeching halt. This is a major goal of Lent. That is, to create that interior silence that allows us to enjoy God's presence. Just a few years ago, there was a small group of 16 or 17 people who made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and went, to, among other places, to Mount Tabor, the, to the Church of the Transfiguration. One of those on the pilgrimage, being quite taken with the beauty of the interior of the church, and above all, with the, the, this deep sense, I need to pray, I need to contemplate in order to take this moment in. Well, this person went down to the, the lower chapel, found a folding chair, and just very quietly sat in a corner, determined to spend the next 30 minutes in prayer. Well, the next thing that this person knew, every single person on that pilgrimage, all 17 in total, had done the very same thing, and no one wanted to leave. How good it is to be here. How good it is to be here right now 
in our own time of prayer. It is so very easy for each one of us to understand that point in the way, the well-known point about hustle and bustle that finishes with these words, calmness, peace, intense life within you. Without that wild hurry, without that frenzy for change, you can work from your proper place in life. And like a powerful generator of spiritual electricity, you will give light and energy to very many without losing your own vigor and light. But it all begins with that calmness, that peace, that silence. It is no accident that St. Josemaria writes at another place in the way, silence is the doorkeeper of the interior life. Calmness, peace, intense life within you. Pope Francis insists on the importance of silence in his document, Gaudete et Exultate. He says, the Lord speaks to us in a variety of ways at work, through others, and at every moment. That's just the beginning of this thought. But right away we can identify with that because we know from our experience that when we make the effort to be aware of God's presence, we begin to detect things that otherwise we would have glossed over, we would have been oblivious to. Because the Lord does speak to us through others. And as a matter of fact, he is desiring to speak to us at every moment. Yet we simply, the Pope goes on to say, we simply cannot do without the silence of prolonged prayer, which enables us to better perceive God's language, to calm our anxieties, and to see the whole of our existence afresh in his own light. What a wonderful thought, what a wonderful reality. To see the whole of our existence ultimately the way that God sees it. To see our role in the history of the world, the history of the church. To see what it is that the Lord is up to. Even now in our own prayer, we can say for the millionth time, Lord, I know you're up to something because you always are. Whatever it is, count on me. That's a very different approach from that little vignette we've prayed before, we've prayed about, of the mother with young children, the children outside playing in the backyard, and every 10 minutes the mother goes to the screen door and without looking outside, she just calls out to the children, whatever you do, whatever you're doing, stop it. Well, we say the opposite. Okay, Jesus, whatever you're up to, Count on me, I'm in. Keep, keep speaking to me. Just think of the, the three apostles having witnessed Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. They never forgot that moment. How could they? And through that sublime revelation, they gained new insight into their own mission. Well, as we heard at Mass, the scene of the Transfiguration finishes with these words. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son, listen to him. After the voice had spoken, 
Jesus was found alone. The apostles felt, they fell silent. They did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. We can understand that. Having witnessed something unspeakably sublime, the apostles, they, they, they realized anything other than silence would have ruined everything. It would have broken the spell, so to speak. Instead, they instinctively clung to those fresh memories to ensure that those images, those words, the whole experience would sink deep roots in their being. We are so interested in praying about silence, especially within the context of, of Lent. Lent, after all, is a time of purification. The more we think about it and pray about it, the more we come to realize at any given moment there are a lot of distractions going on inside of us. Perhaps little snippets of, of a tune, memories, perhaps thinking of what's coming next, but just an awful lot of distractions. There comes to mind something that took place way back in the 1970s in the Bronx, New York. There was an excursion that was organized to take some of the young, young gentlemen, the high school kids, on a, an excursion to what was called, what is Bear Mountain. It was a little hill, basically, but it's out in the countryside. Now, those who were on this excursion had never, never, ever left their neighborhood. This was a, back in the 70s, and the days when the so-called boom boxes existed. For those of you too young to know what a boom box was, it was a radio the size of a suitcase. And so these youngsters, they got to Bear Mountain and they emerged from the car, each one carrying on his shoulder a boom box. And we had to break the news to them, gentlemen, this is going to be a new experience for you. It's called silence. Check your boom boxes in the car. And they, for the first time, experienced silence. They weren't sure what to make of it. They really had no escape, but it was a very powerful experience for them. You have undoubtedly discovered this beautiful book by Cardinal Robert Sarah, entitled The Strength of Silence. The Lord won't mind if we quote just a couple of paragraphs from this very profound book. Before God in silence, we become gentle and humble of heart. The sweetness and the humility of God penetrate us, and we enter into a genuine conversation with him. It's as though we were hearing, be still and see that I am God. When we're still, when we are silent, as we are right now during this time of prayer, it is easier to get off our high horse, to stop thinking about the things that interest only us, to turn to the Lord and say to him, what interests you? And we become gentle and humble of heart. Humility, the Cardinal goes on to say, humility is a condition and consequence of silence. Silence needs gentleness and humility. And it also opens us up to these two qualities. Silence opens us up 
to gentleness, to humility. Robert Sarah goes on to say the most humble, the most gentle, the most silent of beings is God. Silence is the only way to enter the vast mystery of God. Silence is a divine liberation that unifies and places us in the center of ourselves, in the depths of the mysteries of God. We we can easily identify with this prospect of a divine liberation that unifies us, places us in the center of ourselves. Because we want that instinctively, especially as the fruit of our Lenten observance. If there's anything we want to accomplish during these 40 days, it is to discern the paths of holiness to which the Lord is calling us. Again, in Gaudete et Exultate, the document of the Holy Father, in that silence, we can discern in the light of the Spirit the paths of holiness to which the Lord is calling us. For each disciple, it is essential to spend time with the Master, to listen to his words, to learn from him always. Unless we listen, all our words will be nothing but useless chatter. And so Pope Francis asks us, let me ask you, are there moments when you place yourself quietly in the Lord's presence, when you calmly spend time with him, when you bask in his gaze? Do you let his fire inflame your heart? This silence that we are imagining as we place ourselves there on Mount Tabor alongside Peter, James, and John, we come to realize that that silence helps us on a number of different planes, a number of different areas of our life. Silence helps us to appreciate those around us. Turning to a different document of Pope Francis, The Joy of Love, he says, Take time, quality time. This means being ready to listen patiently and attentively to everything the other person wants to say. It requires the self-discipline of not speaking until the time is right. Instead of offering an opinion or advice, we need to be sure that we have heard everything the other person has to say. This means cultivating an interior silence that makes it possible to listen to the other person without mental or emotional distractions. Do not be rushed. Put aside all of your own needs and worries and make space. Well, these words sound very wonderful, very beautiful. But then when we try to really and truly listen without distractions, without being rushed, without looking at the watch, without thinking, I know exactly what she's going to say. Why is she taking so long to say it? That is the stuff of heroism. But even now we can be thinking of different situations we find ourselves in every day and ask ourselves, am I a really, really great listener? Do people love to talk to me because they know I will be listening and I will not give up until I find out exactly what they're trying to say? Or do I tend to cut people off, finish their sentence, or just wait, and as soon as they stop to take a breath, I dive in with my own advice. 
We can't, we can't be like that. You remember that quip of the comedian Jimmy Durante of many years ago when he said, my wife has a slight speech impediment. Every now and then she has to stop to take a breath. Otherwise she goes on and on and on. There was a very humorous and very insightful article in the newspaper recently by someone who realized that he was becoming absolutely addicted, obsessed with his telephone. And so he came up with an article with a very very suggestive title, How I Ditched My Phone and Unbroke My Brain. Journalists can get away with creating brand new words. He unbroke his brain. As he thought about it, he realized that he had developed terrible habits, terribly addictive habits. And he says that after recognizing the problem, he became aware of how profoundly uncomfortable he was with stillness, with silence. He didn't know how to handle it. And so he engaged in a 30-day course on how to basically be, go through detox with his phone. At the end of that process, his wife said, it has been great for me. She explained that since my phone detox started, I had been more present and attentive at home. I spent more time really listening to her, less time distractedly nodding and mumbling while checking my inbox or tapping out tweets. Well, that says it all right there. I had been more present and attentive. The chances are very high that many of us have chosen as our major element of our Lenten observance to do something to pay more attention to other people and to pay less attention to the social media and to other sources of distraction. Well, speaking of sources of distraction and speaking of concentration, silence also helps us to work more effectively. Here is a name that you probably have not heard in a long time, if ever. Antonin Dalmas Sertillange. Sertillange was a Dominican friar and professor of moral philosophy who wrote an important book 99 years ago called The Intellectual Life. In the introduction to, that, to a later edition in 1934, Sertiange says the following, Do you want to do intellectual work? Begin by creating within you a zone of silence, a habit of recollection, a will of renunciation and detachment that puts you entirely at the disposal of work. Without without that, you will do nothing, or at least nothing worthwhile. Well, here he is saying in 1920, the very same thing we're talking about now. A habit of recollection, a zone of silence. He goes on to say in this important book, Let your mind become a lens, thanks to the converging rays of attention. It's a very powerful image. We've seen eight- and nine-year-old boys with a a magnifying glass out in the summer sun 
using a magnifying glass to focus the rays of the sun on a poor, unsuspecting insect who is about to meet its creator. Well, here's Sertian saying, let your mind become a lens. Thanks to the converging rays of attention, with this attitude, I'm going to zap that project, whatever it is. Let your soul be, in, be intent on whatever it is that is established in your mind as a dominant, totally absorbing idea. Well, this is powerful stuff. This whole notion of concentrating, really concentrating, doing whatever we can and whatever we have to do to, to quiet all the noise coming from the outside, but also in the interior. There's a much more recent work, a book published just a few years ago called Deep Work, where the author says, silence is required for laser focus. If we spend enough time in a state of frenetic shallowness, we permanently reduce our capacity to perform deep quality work. That frenetic shallowness is the stuff that we see all around us all the time. People allowing themselves to be interrupted constantly. And they lose that capacity to perform deep work. This same author goes on to explain that he interviewed 50 what he calls ultra-high scoring students. Taking standardized tests and having basically perfect scores. He discovered that they often studied less than the next tier. The best students understood the role that intensity plays in productivity. Therefore, they went out of their way to maximize their concentration, radically reducing the time required to prepare for tests or to write papers, without diminishing the quality of the results. We have every right to be excited about the prospect as we look ahead at our life of work to think, what will my output, my productivity, my satisfaction, what will it be like if I can string together a series of hours or half hours of genuine concentration of laser-like focus? Well, finally, silence is all important for us to be charitable. So much damage can be done when someone speaks too much or without discipline. St. Josemaria says, in, again in the way, the Lord will judge us on how we have used his gifts. After seeing how many people waste their lives without a break, gab, 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 and with all the consequences, I can better appreciate how necessary and lovable silence is. And I can well understand, Lord, why you will make us account for every idle word. Speaking of, of silence with regard, to, with regard to keeping our mouth shut, to put it bluntly, you might recall that, that saying that is, that is attributed to Abraham Lincoln that is so, so wise. It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and relieve them of all doubt. Well, there it is. Well, finally, as we always do, we turn to Our Lady, and in this context, how easy it is for us to imagine her, 
there in, in Nazareth, there among all those friends of hers, those colleagues, people she saw every day. And to realize that her interior spirit of recollection was constant because of this, this in, intense interior life. It was because of that that she was able to be concerned, aware of the others, of everyone around her, aware of their needs. She was able to work so effectively, we could say that her prayer blended with her very life, with her work, with her attention towards others. As one writer puts it, her interior silence was richness, fullness, and contemplation. And so we imagine all those who dealt with Mary basking in in radiant glory, so to speak, just so thrilled to be in her presence, so thrilled to have her as their confidant, so ready to pour into her all their concerns, all their worries, knowing that she would have marvelous, magnificent advice for them. Well, that is what we say to her as we finish this time of prayer. Mary, I am all ears. I consider you my confidant par excellence. And I'm going to listen to you very carefully to whatever it is that you have to say. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.